Chapter 25 of Invaders from the Infinite by John W. Campbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Invaders from the Infinite. Chapter 25 With Galaxies in the Balance. The thought arose from Venone after long hours, and at Arcot's suggestion they assumed an orbit about the world at a distance of two million miles and all on board slept save Torlos, the tireless molecular motion machine of flesh and iron. He acted as a guard, and as he had slept but four days before, he explained there was really no reason for him to sleep as yet. But the terrestrians would feel the greatest strain of the coming encounter, especially Arcot and Mori, for Mori was to help by repairing any damage done, by working from the control board of the Banderlog the little tender had sufficient power to take care of any damage that that might inflict, they felt sure. For they had not learned of the triple ray. It was hours later that, rested and refreshed, they started for Thet. Following the great space chart that they had been given by the Venonians, a series of blocks of clear lux metal, with tiny points of slowly disintegrating lux, such as been used to illuminate the letters of the thought's name representing suns, the colors and relative intensity being shown. Then there was a more manageable guide in the form of photographs, marked for route by constellations formations as well, which would be their actual guide. At the maximum speed of the time apparatus, for thus they could better follow the constellations, the thought plunged along in the wake of the tiny scout ship that had already landed on Thet and hours later they saw the giant red sun of Ansek, the star of Thet and its system. "'We're about there,' said Arcot, a peculiar tenseness showing in his thoughts. "'Shall we barge right in, or wait and investigate?' "'We'll have to chance it. Where is their main fort here?' "'From the direction, I should say it was to the left and ahead of our position,' replied Zesdun Afton. The ship moved ahead, while about it the tremendous Thessian battlefleet buzzed like flies, thousands of ships now, and more coming with each second. In a few moments the titanic ship had crossed a great plain, and come to a region of bare rocky hills several hundred feet high. Set in those hills, surrounded by them, was a huge sphere, resting on the ground. As though by magic, the Thessian fleet cleared away from the thought. The last one had not left when Arcot shot a terrific cosmic ray toward the sphere. It was relux, and he knew it, but he knew what would happen when that cosmic ray hit it. The solometer flickered and steadied at three as that inconceivable ray flashed out. Instantly there was a terrific explosion. The soil exploded into hydrogen atoms, and expanded under heat that lashed it to more than a million degrees in the tiniest fraction of a second. The terrific recoil of the ray pressure was taken by all space, for it was generated by space itself. But the direct pressure struck the planet, and that titanic planet reeled. A tremendous fissure opened, and the section that had been struck by the ray smashed its way suddenly far into the planet, and a geyser of fluid rock rolled over it twenty miles deep in that world. The relux sphere had been struck by the ray and had turned it, with the result that it was pushed doubly hard. 
the enormously thick relux strained and dented, then shot down as a whole into the incandescent rock. For miles the vaporized rock was boiling off. Then the fort sent out a ray, and that ray blasted the rock that had flowed over it as Arcot's titanic ray snapped out. In moments the fort was at the surface again, and a molecular hit it. The molecular did not have the energy the cosmic had carried, but it was a single concentrated beam of destruction ten feet across. It struck the fort, and the fort recoiled under its energy. The marvelous new tubes that ran its ray screen flashed instantly to a temperature inconceivable, and so long as the elements embedded in the infusible relux remained the metals they were, those tubes could not fail. But they were being lashed by the energy of half a sun. The tubes failed. The elements heated to that enormous temperature when elements cannot exist, and broke to other elements that did not resist. The relux flashed into blinding iridescence. And from the fort came a beam of pure silvery light. It struck the thought just behind the bow for the operator was aiming for the point where he knew the control room and pilot must be. But Arcot had designed the ship for mental control, which the enemy operator could not guess. The beam was a flat beam, perhaps an inch thick, but it fanned out to fifty feet width, and where it touched the thought there was a terrific explosion, and the inconceivably violent energy lashed out as the cosmium instantaneously liberated its energy. A hundred feet of the nose was torn off the ship, and the enormously dense air of Thet rushed in. But that beam had cut through the very edge of one of the ray projectors, or better, one of the ray feed apparatus. And the ray feed released it without control. It released all the energy it could suck in from space about it, as one single beam of cosmic energy, somewhat lower than the regular cosmics, and it flashed out in a beam as solid matter. There was air about the ship, and the air instantly exploded into atoms of a different sort, threw off their electrons and were raised to the temperature at which no atom can exist, and became protons and electrons. But so rapidly was that coil sucking energy from space that space tended to close in about it, and in enormous spurts the energy flooded out. It was directed almost straight up, but one ship was caught in its beam. It was made of relux, but the relux was powdered under the inconceivable blow that countless quintillions of cosmic ray photons struck it. That ray was, in fact, a solid mass of cosmium moving with the velocity of light, and it was headed for that satellite of Thet, which it would reach in a few hours' time. The thought, due to the spatial strains of the wounded coil, was constantly rushing away to an almost infinite distance, as the ship approached that other space toward which the coil tended with its load, and rushing back, as the coil, reaching a spatial condition which supplied no energy, fell back. In a hundredth of a second it had reached equilibrium, and they were in a weirdly, terribly distorted space. But the triple ray of the Thessians seemed to shear off and miss, no matter how it was directed and it was painfully weak, for the coil sucked up the energy of whatsoever matter disintegrated in the neighborhood. Then suddenly the performance was over, and they plunged into artificial space that was black and clean, 
and not a thing of wavering, struggling energies. Morey, from his control in the Banderlog, had succeeded in getting sufficient energy, by using his space distortion coils, to destroy the great projector mechanism. Instantly Arcot, now able to create the artificial space without the destruction of the coils by the struggling ray-feed coil, had thrown them into comparative safety. Space writhed before they could so much as turn from the instruments. The Thessians had located their artificial space, and reached it with an attraction ray. They already had been withstanding the drain of the enormous fields of the giant planet and the giant sun. The attractive ray was an added strain. Arcot looked at his instruments, and with a grim smile, set a single dial. The space about them became black again. Pulling our energy. Merely let them pull. They're pulling on an ocean, not a lake this time. I don't think they'll drain those coils very quickly. He looked at his instruments. Good for two and a half hours at this rate. Maury, you sure did your job, then. I was helpless. The controls wouldn't answer, of course, with that titanic thing flopping its wings, so to speak. What are we going to do? Morey stood in the doorway, and from his pocket drew a cigarette, handed it to Arcot, another to each of the others who smoked and lit them, and his own. Smoke, he said, and puffed. Smoke and think. From our last experience with a minor tragedy, it helps. But this is no minor tragedy. They have burst open the wall of this invulnerable ship, destroyed one of those enormous coils, and can do it again exclaimed Zesden Afton, exceedingly nervous, so nervous that the normal courage of the man was gone. His too psychic breeding was against him as a warrior. Afton, replied Stelfelso Theo calmly, when our friends have smoked and thought, the thought will be repaired perfectly, and it will be made invulnerable to that weapon. I hope so, Stelfelso Theo, smiled Arcot. He was feeling better already. But do you know what that weapon is, Maury? Got some readings on it with the Banderlog's instruments, and I think I do. Twin Ray is right, replied Maury. Hmm, <laughs> so I think. It's a super photon. What they do is to use a field somewhat similar to the field we use in making cosmium, except that in theirs, instead of the photons lying side by side, they slide into one another, compounding. They evidently got three photons to go into one. Now, as we know, that size photon doesn't exist for the excellent reason that it can't in this space. Space closes in about it. Therefore, they have a projected field to accompany it that tends to open out space, and they're using that, not the attractive ray, on us now. The result is that for a distance not too great, the triple ray exists in normal space then goes into another. Now the question is, how can we stop it? I have an idea. Have you any?" Yes, but my idea can't exist in this space either, grinned Morey. I think it can. If it's what I think, remember, it will have a terrific electric field. It's what you think, then. Come on. Arcot and Morey went to the calculating room, while Wade took over the ship but one of the ray-feeds had been destroyed, and they had three more in action, 
as well as their most important weapon, artificial matter. Wade threw on the time-field, and started the emergency lead-burner working to recharge the coils that the Thessians were constantly draining. Being in their own peculiar space, they could not draw energy from the stars, and Arcot didn't want to return to normal space to discharge them, unless necessary. "'How's the air pressure in the rest of the ship?' asked Wade. "'Triple normal,' replied Maury. "'The Thessian atmosphere leaked in and sent it up terrifically, but when we went into our own space, at the halfway point, a lot leaked out. But the ship is full of water now. It was a bit difficult coming up from the Banderlog, and I didn't want to breathe the air I wasn't sure of. But let's work.' They worked. For eight hours of the time they were now in, they continued to work. The supply of lead metal gave out before the end of the fourth hour, and the coils were nearing the end of their resistance. It would soon be necessary for Arcot to return to normal space. So they stopped, their calculations very nearly complete. Throwing all the remaining energy into the coils, they a little more than held the space about them and moved away from Thet at a speed of about twice that of light. For an hour more Arcot worked while the ship plowed on. Then they were ready. As Arcot took over the controls, space reeled once more, and they were alone, far from Thet. The suns of this space were flashing and glowing about them, and the unlimited energy of a universe was at Arcot's command. But all the remaining atmosphere in the ship had either gone instantaneously in the vacuum or solidified as the chill of expansion froze it. To the amazement of the extraterrestrians, Arcot's first move was to create a titanic plane of artificial matter and neatly bisect the thought at the middle. He had thrown all of the controls thus interrupted into neutral, and in the little more than half of the ship which contained the control cabin was also the artificial matter control. It was busy now. With bewildering speed, with the speed of thought trained to construct, Enormous masses of cosmium were appearing beside them in space, as Arcot created them from pure energy. Cosmium, relux, and some clear, cosmium-like lux metal. Ordinary cosmium was reflective, and he wanted something with cosmium strength and the clearness of lux. In seconds, under Arcot's flying thought manipulation, a great tube had been welded to the original hull, and the already gigantic ship lengthened by more than five hundred feet. Immediately, great artificial matter tools gripped the broken nose section, clamped it into place, and welded it with cosmium flowing under the inconceivable pressure till it was again a single great hull. Then the Thessian fleet found them. The coils were charged now, and they could have escaped, but Arcot had to work. The Thessians were attacked with moleculars, cosmics, and a great twin ray. Arcot could not use his magnet, for it had been among those things severed from the control. He had two ray feeds and the artificial matter. There were nearly three thousand ships attacking him with a barrage of energy that was inconceivably great, but the cosmium walls merely turned it aside. It took Arcot less than ten seconds to wipe out that fleet of ships. He created a wall of artificial matter at twenty feet from the ship, and another at twenty thousand miles. It was thin, yet it was utterly impenetrable. He swept the two walls together, 
and forced them against each other until his instruments told him only free energy remained between them. Then he released the outer wall, and a terrific flood of energy swept out. "'I don't think we'll be attacked again,' said Maury softly. They were not. That had only one other fleet, and had no intention of losing the powers of their generators at this time, when they so badly needed them. The strange ship had retired for repairs. Very well, they could attack again, and maybe. Arcot was busy. In the great empty space that had been left, he installed a second collector coil as gigantic as the main artificial matter generator. Then he repaired the broken ray-feed, and it and the companion coil, which with it, had been in the severed nose section, were now in the same relative position to the new collector coil that they had had with relation to the artificial matter coil. Next, Arcot built two more ray-feeds. Now, in the gigantic central power-room, there loomed two tremendous power-collectors, and six smaller ray-feed collectors. His next work was to reconnect the severed connectors and controls. Then he began work on the really new apparatus. Nothing he had constructed so far was more than a duplicate of existing apparatus, and he had been able to do it almost instantly from memory. Now he must vision something new to his experience, and something that was forced to exist in part in this space, and partly in another. He tried four times before the apparatus had been completed correctly, and the work occupied ten hours. But at last it was done. The thought was ready now for the battle. "'Got it right at last?' asked Wade. "'I hope so.' "'It's right. Tried it a little. I don't think you noticed it. I'm going down now to give them a nice little dose.' said Arcot grimly. His ship was repaired, but they had caused him plenty of trouble. "'How long have we been out here, their time?' asked Wade. "'About an hour and a half.' The thought had been on the time-field at all times, save when the Thessian fleet attacked. "'I think, Earthmen, that you are tired, and should rest, lest you make a tired thought and do great harm.' suggested Zesden Afton. "'I want to finish it,' replied Arcot sharply. He was tired. In seconds the thought was once more over that fortified station in the mountains, and the triple ray reached out, and suddenly about the ship was a wall of absolute, utter blackness. The triple ray touched it, and exploded into coruscating, blinding energy. It could not penetrate it. More energy lashed at the wall of blackness as the operators within the sphere fort turned in the energy of all the generators under their control. The ground about the fort was a great lake of dazzling lava as far as the eye could see, for the triple ray was releasing its energy, and the wall of black was releasing an equal and opposing energy. "'Stopped!' cried Arcot happily. "'Now here is where we give them something to think about.' the magnet, and the heat. He turned the two enormous forces simultaneously on the point where he knew the fort was, though it was invisible behind the wall of black that protected him. From his side, the energy of the spot where all the system of that was throwing its forces was invisible. Then he released them. 
Instantly there was a terrific gout of light on that wall of blackness. The ship trembled, and the space turned gray about them. The black wall dissolved into grayness in one spot, as a flood of energy beyond comprehension exploded from it. The enormously strong cosmium wall dented as the pressure of the escaping radiation struck it, and turned X-ray hot under the minute percentage it absorbed. The triple ray bent away, and faded to black as the cosmic force playing about it actually twisted space beyond all power of its mechanism to overcome. Then, in the tiniest fraction of a second, it was over. And again there was blackness, and only the brilliant, blinding blue of the cosmium wall testified to its enormous temperature, cooling now far more slowly through green to red. "'Lord, you're right, Zesden Afton. I'm going to sleep,' called Arcot. And the ship was suddenly far, far away from Thet. Mori took over, and Arcot slept. First, Mori straightened the uninjured wall and ironed out the dents. "'What, Mori, is the wall of blackness?' asked Stelfelso Theu. "'It's solid matter. A thing that you never saw before. That wall of matter is made of a double layer of protons lying one against the other. It absorbs absolutely every and all radiation. And because it is solid matter, not tiny sprinklings of matter in empty space, as is the matter of even the densest star, it stops the triple ray. That matter is nothing but protons. There are no electrons there, and the positive electrical field is inconceivably great. But it is artificial matter, and that electrical field exerts its strain not in pulling and electrifying other bodies, but in holding space open in keeping it from closing in about that concentrated matter, just as it does about a single proton, except that, here, the entire field energy is so absorbed." Arcot was tired and forgot. He turned his magnet and his heat against it. The heat fought the solid matter with the same energy that created it, and with an energy that had resources as great. The magnet curved space about it and about us. The result was the terrific energy release you saw, and the hole in the wall. All Thet could make any impression on it. One of the rays blasted a hole in it," said Mori with a laugh, for he too loved this mighty thing, the almost living ideas of his friend's brain. But it is as bad as the space defense. It works both ways. We can't send through it, but neither can they. Anything we use that attacks them attacks it, and so destroys it, and it fights." "'We're worse off than ever,' said Mori gloomily. "'My friend, you too are tired. Sleep, sleep soundly, sleep till I call, sleep.' And Mori slept under Zesden Afton's will, till Tordos carried him gently to his room. Then Afton let the sleep relax to a natural one. Wade decided he might as well follow under his own power, for now he knew he was tired and could not overcome Zesden Afton, who was not. On Thet the fort was undestroyed, and now floating on its power units in a sea of blazing lava. Within 
men were working quickly to install a second set of the new tubes in the molecular motion ray screen, and other men were transmitting the orders of the Stanto, who had come here as the place of actually greatest safety. Order all battleships to the nearest power-feed station, and command that all power available be transmitted to the station attacked. I believe it will be this one. There is no limit on the power transmission lines, and we need all possible power," he commanded his son, now in charge of all land and spatial forces. And, Randstad, what happened to that molecular ray-screen? I do not know. I can't understand such power. But what most worries me is his wall of darkness," said Randstad seriously. But he was forced to retire for all his wall of darkness, as you saw. He can maintain it but a short time, and it was full of holes when he fled. Old Stanto is much too confident, I believe," said an assistant, working at one of the great boards in the enemy's fort, to one of his friends. And I think he has lost his science knowledge. Any power-man could tell what happened. They tried to use their own big rays against us, and their screen stopped them from going out, just as it stopped ours on the way in. Ours had been working at it for seconds and hadn't bothered them. Then for a bare instant their ray touched it and they retired. That shield of blackness is absolutely new." "'They have many men on that ship of theirs,' replied his friend, helping to lift the three-hundred-ton load of a vacuum-tube into place. For it is evident that they built new apparatus, and it is evident their ship was increased in size to contain it. Also, the nose was repaired. They probably worked under a time-field, for they accomplished an impossible amount of work in the period they were gone." Randstad had come up behind them and overheard the latter part of this conversation. "'And what,' he asked suddenly, "'did your meters tell you when our ray opened his ship?' "'Counselor of Science Wisdom, they told us that our power diminished and our generators gave off but little power when his power was exceedingly little, we still had much. Have you heard the myth of the source of his power, in the story that he gets it from all the stars of the island? We have, great counselor, and I for one believe it, for he sucked the power from our generators. So might he suck the power from the inconceivably greater generators of the suns. I believe that we should treat with them for if they be like the peace-loving fools of Venon, we might win a respite in which to learn their secret." Randstad walked away slowly. He agreed, in his heart, but he loved life too well to tell the Stanto what to do, and he had no intention of sacrificing himself for the possible good of the race. So they prepared for another attack of the thought and waited. End of chapter 25